Hi, my name is Michael Carm, a member with Rosenberg and Estes, and this is the Inside RE podcast. On today's episode, we have two members of the executive management team of Genesis Realty. We have Jack Zarima and Mackenzie Forsberg. Mackenzie and Jack, uh, you can you give a little background up on yourselves and Genesis Realty as to what you're doing in the real estate space currently? Genesis Realty Group is a full service, multifamily asset and property management company with about 2,500 units located in the Bronx and Upper Manhattan um, throughout the five boroughs and um, a sprinkling of properties throughout Westchester and the Hudson Valley as well. We manage for other property owners, third party, and we own um, some of the properties ourselves as investors. And the majority of our portfolio is rent regulated through DHCR, through ETPA and rent stabilization. So in connection with the properties that you're managing and owning in New York City, uh, Local Law 97 has obviously been a hot topic lately. And how is that affecting your portfolio overall? Mackenzie mentioned that we are an full-service asset management and property management company. So it really is a great example of how to marry the two. Um, the day-to-day property management is really how the what we need to do to prepare for Local 97 will, um, will be put into effect. But the asset management side is, is considering how are we going to comply and comply without fines that can be imposed on properties that do not uh, meet the standards that are put forth by the city. I think too, as as investors ourselves, the volume, the quantity of dollars that go into any type of compliance project, especially of this scale, you don't want to just spend money to avoid fines. You want to be able to improve the asset itself, the housing stock for our residents, um, the value of the property for our investors, our partners, our third-party management clients. Um, So we we took this personally, um, and we 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 used a holistic approach many many years ago. Um, And I'm not sure if you want to delve all the way into the very beginning of it or not. we, I would say around 2010-ish, when Local Law 84 first went into effect, which was benchmarking for properties 50,000 square feet or more, um, we knew at that time, we took a long, hard look um, at the portfolio, and we saw how many properties were 50,000 square feet or more. We knew that uh, we had heard at that time that the threshold for square footage requirement requiring uh, compliance was going to decreased to 25,000 square feet shortly thereafter, which it did. And we thought, you know what, we're going to start overhauling all of our sustainability um, portfolio wide for everything that we have ownership in. And we can kind of be the guinea pig. Uh, And at that time, and which is the same now, there were public incentives and financing strategies available to us um, through Con Edison, NYSERDA, and we thought, why not utilize these incentives, which were very lucrative at the time? We can work with DHCR, um, which were very proficient in um, to equitably, um, steadily, and capped on a capped level, increase rent through major capital improvements um, to improve the housing stock that we're invested in. 
Um, you know, a lot of these properties have new roofs with solar panels and um, better insulated building envelopes. We did everything from soup to nuts and the cost was tremendous. But from an asset management perspective, um, after several refinances and MCIs that, um, you know, happened in the subsequent years thereafter, we could be sustainable. We could be in compliance. And it could be a win-win for the residents and for the ownership of the property. So if, if I could just add a little color to the thought process at that time, there were two, two ideas of thought that we married together. One was the city is starting to request information so they can benchmark. Where is this leading? Yeah, they're the not city, just requesting data. Yeah, the city is compiling data. There's going to be something at the end of the road. And, you know, we... Being generational owners, um, our thought process for these properties has always been long-term. So we looked at the investment required to reduce the carbon footprint because anyone that lives in New York or on, on this planet should have some sense of, of responsibility to reduce their carbon footprint. But it was, it was marrying these two thoughts that got us to the point. And early on, I would say, in our particular industry, um, where we could take take advantage of incentives that were available back then because we were one of the fewer players in the field where the resources are a limited uh, resource. And as Mackenzie pointed out, through a series of, of you know, management foresight, we were able to recoup our investment in a, in a decent period of time and improve the quality not only of our investment, but the quality of the housing that we provide to our tenants. So it sounds like being proactive <clears throat> paid off in, 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 in your portfolio, correct? Yes, it did. Yes, but we, we do also manage third party for other clients and our our portfolio is constantly changing as we take on more management and different clients that have um, you know, different types of housing stock, different locations, different needs. Uh, and we, we have a newer client who's under pressure now, like many other property owners in New York City, to comply. And, you know, we're going through it now on his properties, as many other property owners are as well. So, you know, we're not immune to to stuff like that. So turning the, to a little bit of the specifics of the law, obviously, we have Article 320, uh, which basically covers all buildings, and then Article 321, which allows uh, certain exceptions for buildings that have 35% or more of the units that are rent regulated. And from you know talking before the show, I understand that a large portion of your portfolio uh, falls under Article 321 and having more than 35% of the units subject to rent regulation. And that allows the pres prescriptive pathway um, a way to compliance. And the deadline for that is being in compliance by the end of next year. Right now, how is your portfolio faring in connection with prescriptive pathway compliance and how many buildings have you implemented uh, that exception with? Um, almost all of our, because we're generational owners for our investment portfolio that we're directly tied to, those properties, I think 12 of the 13 measures were already complied with. For our third-party management clients, you know, spending a significant amount of money on sustainability, even if it's the law, is still a hard concept for some of our third-party management clients to wrap their head around. Um, so 
it took a little bit longer for them to understand not only was this required, but that there could be peripheral benefits um, such as MCI, equitable, slow um, rent rate, rent increases with the state and um, a decrease on our utility expenditure. You know, so we had to kind of work with our clients and walk them through the cost benefit analysis. And that took many months um, when this law rolled out. So a lot of those clients were starting to handle those measures now. A good amount of the 13 prescriptive measures is related to the heating system. So I would say that our third-party management clients, um, we started working on completely replacing and overhauling their boilers to more energy-efficient options, um, you know, right when this law came out, if not before. And that process takes time. It takes capital. Um, it takes um, public incentives, working with Con Edison. So um, that's where the majority of the work lies. The rest are kind of lower hanging fruit. Um, much of it also has um, positive incentive programs, even, you know, every cent counts. So even from the utility, if they don't qualify for NYSERDA incentives, they qualify for Con Edison incentives. So that's a, a bonus there as well. And I do want to point out for anyone who's listening that the reason that affordable housing receives this um, eligibility benefit is because the New York City Council and Department of Buildings, when this law was first implemented, the fear for affordable housing properties was that um, sustainability measures were so costly that it might result in you know, lofty rent increases on the residents. Um, so DHCR obviously has its own structure to make sure that that's equitable. And we're in full compliance with that as with many of our peers. So that's not a fear that any of the residents would have to worry about. And that's what the law, the Article 321 pathway was designed for. Which if, if I could just add to, Mike, I'm, you look like you have a question, but I- No, go ahead, please. Um, to add to uh, to Mackenzie's points is, you know, New York City property owners, uh, more specifically rent stabilized property owners, almost have a knee jerk reaction to any kind of council law that passes. Um, it's it's always felt in the initial feel is that it's draconian, that it's it's imposing a public policy on the private sector without any means for financial assistance. So we're carrying the direction of the city on our backs in the private sector. Sure. And have you done a cost analysis between prescriptive measures and what it would otherwise cost to comply with the admissions caps that are coming up? I assume that it's much cheaper to implement the prescriptive measures. But have you actually looked at that uh, and any data reflecting that? Um, we don't have specific data reflecting that, but the prescriptive measures obviously are the low-hanging fruit. The, the return on investment is much quicker, and it's much more palatable, even for owners that don't have the budget or don't have the long-term ownership in mind. Um, so it's, it's, it's much more palatable, as I said. We do have some energy modeling where if you were to only complete the prescriptive measures, especially for the boiler systems where they're quote unquote in good working condition. If you have an old steam oil boiler and radiators, you can complete the prescriptive measures, but 
from a cost-benefit analysis, it's better to completely replace the boiler at this point in time. Um, you know, if your boiler's in that bad of condition and you're just trying to handle the low-hanging fruit for a quick compliance, you, you're, you're better off financially spending a couple more extra bucks, um, especially with what's available through NYSERDA to go ahead and replace that boiler yeah. because um the peripheral detriment that that you don't see initially um it's more costly in the long run with hpd violations and you know heat seeping through where it shouldn't be throughout the building envelope so based based on our prior data analysis which was years ago on the conversion from steam heat to hydronic hot water system heat which was very costly costly and a big lift, but our return on investment was, depending on the size of the building, anywhere from three to seven years. So depending on the type of investor you are, for us, it was a no-brainer. I could, you know, we could hang on to a seven-year ROI knowing that there would be capital events in between and we'd be able to probably get our money back quicker, our investment. Uh, there are people in today's market that either don't have the resources to even consider a, a three or seven year ROI. And some who just, they don't have the investment appetite to say, I'm gonna stick around for seven years. It's also why we, at the time, why professional asset and property management is so important. You know, if we just were sitting here collecting rent, um, signing leases, doing standard day-to-day -day property management services without taking the holistic approach with our properties, and our clients' properties, um, you know, we'd be in the same position as many, um, you know, where uh, we're under fire, we're under pressure to comply. There's less incentives, and now look at the interest rate environment. We right. tend to be proactive when we first saw this coming and realized, hey, the interest rate environment is great right now. We have access to capital in ways that we may not have in the future. The incentives are plush because we're one of the smaller players in in the arena accessing these incentives because it wasn't so popular to make all of these moves before local 97 came out and and we did this right after benchmarking rolled out uh, and to jack's point um you know we really tried to marry the two and that's why professional management services are so important right and, and to that point you know ignoring the cost for a minute with with compliance about 12 and a half months away do you think there's enough time for people to still even implement prescriptive measures and, and have them done comfortably before the end of next year's deadline? Um, comfortably? <laughs> I, think, I think what's, you know, you're touching on something that's very key. Um, smart owners and property managers will rely on a good consultant. There's nothing that can't be done with the right amount of money and knowledge. So it, it all depends on the ownership and the consultant that they're using to get to that finish line. So I would you like to talk about that, Jack? What kind of consultants are you using? Using architects, engineers, energy consultants? Who do you bring in to help uh, so guide you through the process? We use one consultant that um, houses all of those different trades and professionals. They have engineering staff, um, they have the data analysis, and they've got the knowledge of the law, although it's ever-changing and, you know, every day is something new or subject to interpretation. Um, we use uh, Carlton Energy. Uh, we've been using them for years. We've known them for a long time. Uh, in fact, I know Jeff 
since he started in the business way back when, um, and he started out on his own different ventures. But uh, his company is phenomenal. Uh, they do a great job at showing us the roadmap. And, and then, as I said, the other side of it is whether you're willing to invest the money in, in the projects. Also, as rent-stabilized property owners, we're... <laughs> We're cagey by nature, by nature, especially with um, you know third-party vendors and consultants, um, especially in the energy space. I feel like when there's a new incentive that comes out from the utility, it gives birth to 25 different LED lighting companies and 25 different uh, consulting firms um, because you know it's just, yeah roof insulation. It's a smart business model, but um, you know they're a dime a dozen, and you really as a as someone whose job is to um, oversee the day-to-day -day, um, finances and day-to-day -day management and maintenance of um, you know housing of where people live you need to make sure that you're working with real professionals and you need to learn the law yourself um, we don't hire vendors unless for laws that get rolled out overnight unless we know the law inside and out We've spoken with multiple companies. We've worked with a variety of energy-related companies, but um, Carlton Energy Consulting um, has been the best by far. And when you bring in the energy consultant, what steps do they take? How do you work with them in order to understand uh, what you need to do in order to get the buildings into compliance? Do they do a physical inspection of the building? Do they look at your energy bills? What's the process like? Um, they take your benchmarking data to start, um, so that kind of covers the review of your energy bills, your energy usage, and they, their engineering team models the your future use based on what met each measure, whether it's prescriptive or not. Um, and then you can do your own cost-benefit analysis based on what we were discussing before, for example, with the boiler. They will model what the prescriptive measures, um, you know, what percent reduction in greenhouse gas emissions will this measure get you? But where will you be if you go the extra mile and replace the boiler, for example? So they really partner with you on the financial end, not just on the compliance end. And they help you access um, uh, publicly available incentives as well. Understood. And for those owners that haven't started implementing any changes yet, what kind of cost do you think they're looking at right now in order to just implement the prescriptive measures under Article 321? I know it probably depends on building size and it can vary, but yeah. Yeah, I would uh, just to, to, to match the, the measures that would, that would help them um, meet the criteria, I would say... On a, on a 50,000 square foot building, you're looking just based on pipe insulation, some minor tweaks, door sweeps, uh, LED lighting. You're looking at anywhere from, you know, 20 to 50,000. Okay. And right now, how are owners um, financing that? I know interest rates are, are, you know, much higher than they were a few years ago when, when your team started implementing the changes. But you finding owners are having to go out and get getting financing? Are they able to secure financing and they try to... Uh, pay this out of their current rent roll we're we're finding that owners um for the most part are saying we just don't have the funds if you can if you could find it great uh which you know tasks us with being uh, much more creative with 
how we how we handle the cash flow. Yeah, it's, it's extremely challenging. Um, you know, this is probably the one compliance regulation that's been rolled out that had a benefit and a little bit of wiggle room and breathing room for affordable housing. But the truth of the matter is, post HSTPA in 2019, our rents are capped, but our expenses right. continue to rise. Um, our compliance expenses as well, if not even more than just day-to-day -day expenses. And it's impossible. It's like squeezing blood from the stone. Michael, I, w I will say this, you know, being in the industry as long as Mackenzie and I have been, we've developed relationships with vendors where if the cash flow just isn't there, our vendors will, for lack of a better word, partner with us in waiting for a or creating a long payout strategy. So that will benefit us. It keeps them cash flowing. It keeps us cash flowing. And we know, as they know, that we've been in this together. In some cases, I've got vendors that I've known for 30 years, um, you know, from when I first started. So having relationships with vendors is always key in my mind. But when the times get tough, that's when those relationships really get called upon. Also, um, the, there are a variety of creative resources that are available. Um, there are, like we said before, medicine has incentive programs. Um, and there, there are financing. A lot of the energy consulting firms offer financing commensurate with the percentage reduction in your utility bill. For example, LED lighting. Um, in lieu of down payment, you know, they'll figure out how much it's going to cost, deduct the incentives that you're receiving from the utility, and then you pay monthly based on how much less your Con Ed bill is for electric. So it sounds like there are other incentives that if you bring in third-party management, they would be able to help you navigate this as well. Another uh, benefit of having third-party management come in to assist uh, with the day-to-day -day operations of the building. Absolutely. Even just economies of scale as well, um, you know, for benchmarking, everything from benchmarking to garbage bags. When you hire a professional management company, um, you know, our price per garbage bag, price per LED light, price per, you know, so many line items on your expenses are less per unit because of the economies of scale. Just, just a good example. Um, we were actually just queuing up some invoices the other day. And we took on some management, third-party management, in the beginning of 23. And they had, they had contracted with one of our vendors, which was Carlton, um, Carlton Energy. And we noticed that the pricing was different from buildings as for theirs. And Mackenzie made the phone call and said, hey, they said, oh, yeah, he contracted with us last year. That's the pricing that he got. But they adjusted the pricing to match ours. Because we have so many properties that have to comply with local ID pool. Gotcha. So what are the challenges are, are you and other owners facing in implementing the changes other than financing? Have there been any issues with pulling permits or trying to get supplies in, um, supply chain issues, anything in that regard that owners that are going to start gearing up to try to comply need to be aware of? So there's two things that jump to mind to answer that question for you. One is supply chain issues like getting the product is we really haven't felt the pain in that what we have felt the pain in is the the rising prices 
So everything is just much more expensive. Um, and then secondly, Department of Buildings is working slower than ever. Um, I don't know, you know, I don't know if it's a staffing issue, if it's just um, so many applications that are coming in that weren't coming in before, but they're they're much slower to to issue permits and then to come out and, and issue sign-offs. Right. And what role are tenants playing in compliance? Are you having any issues getting access or tenants complaining about the noise or the dust created by the work? Well, that's that's a whole other uh, that's a whole other show, I think. You know, tenants um, there's there's you've, you've got to file a tenant protection plan whenever you file a permit. Um, you're always going to have some tenants that have access issues. Some or most, I would say, legitimate. You know, they've got work issues, scheduling issues. So you've got to work with vendors that can work around them. And then you've got some, you know, just as in the real world, and they will just be difficult because they're difficult. I think um, the majority of the prescriptive measures are in the common areas. So the complaints that we receive about those measures um, on the properties that we're doing now, third-party clients, they're not as much as when we were doing our measures because we repiped every single apartment for all of our eligible properties to replace the radiators with baseboards. So that's a, that's a completely other story. However, um, one of the issues with our tenants, both residential and commercial, is that their data, you know, kind of is, is scoring and measuring energy usage for your properties based on aggregate data, which includes how much energy they use and your commercial stores as well. So even though we have um, multifamily residential properties, many of them, especially the larger ones that are covered under this law, they we have restaurants, um, some offices on the ground floor and working with those tenants has been a challenge. And um, if we were to become responsible for the tenant's usage, I don't, I don't know how we can possibly be held responsible for their usage, but it is part of the algorithm that um, that DOB uses to show how what percentage reduction in greenhouse gas emission we're achieving. I just heard yesterday or today that uh, Chase Bank built a new building in the city and just opened it. 100% electric and they look like right. the golden child right um, so forget about their you know how deep their pockets are and and you know congrats and and kudos to them for for being at the forefront of this but you know if if we're going electric um 100% electric it, i i just have to ask the question where is all this electricity being generated are we just shifting the carbon yep. footprint from, you know, in front of our face to somewhere where we don't see it. So there, you know, we're, we're generating the same amount of carbon footprint. It's just not in our face. It's now, just not, yeah. Yeah. Well, no, part of this, part of the local 97 of the state also announced they're trying to put in, you know, the, the wind farm off of Long Island and they're trying to do more hydroelectric, I think either near the Finger Lakes or Buffalo. And, and a lot of this is, kind of a race, right? Where you have the state and the federal government needs to race to get more sustainable sources of electricity installed while they're also putting pressure on the owners.
to become more electric and more green. And I think the statistics have shown right now is that you flip the switch and the city was all electric tomorrow uh, without any additions to the grid, the grid would fail, right? The grid right. cannot handle the, the demand that local law 97 is going to put on it. And on top of that, the prices would be through the roof. And, you know, people are worried about potentially having rolling blackouts like they have in California. And, um, you know, so the, the state and the feds are really going to have to do their part in this as well in getting that sustainable energy up and, and running. And, you know, I do think it'll be interesting to see where we are five, 10 years from now as more of these buildings do go, you know, I would even say green to your point, Jack, they go electric, right? To see if, uh, the actual power source that it's the grid it's pulling from is actually going to be green or if it's, you know, if it's not going to make a bit of difference when it comes to emissions, because to your point, the building is burning less oil, but the power plant's burning more to create the electricity. One, one so, you know, your point, I think, is well taken. That's very different and crucially different between New York and California. California can afford to have rolling blackouts in in the sense that People's lives are not at stake the way they would be here in New York during the winter. You can't have rolling blackouts when it's 30 degrees outside. Yeah. And to that point, I was actually going to ask, you know, we only have four more, you know, basically season changes left uh, before prescriptive measures have to be complied with. So, you know, I'm sure whether does weather play a factor in any of this? Is there a better time? I know. This all should have been done yesterday, but is there a better time to attack some of these prescriptive measures during the winter or the spring to ensure that you're you're not having tenant complaints and you're also having an expeditious process? If you process haven't with started your boiler prescriptive measures um, in the fall, then you will not achieve compliance. One of them requires combustion tests and um, other reports that require uh, a winter. You need a season in order to get the data that would be required by the Department of Building. You know, I think that's, that's part of the reason I want to talk about this is I, I do think that we have a, a lot of owners that have heard and, and sat back and waited and, and, and trying to listen and to figure out what, what they need to do in order to comply. And some, some may have waited too long, hopefully not. Hopefully you know, people that are listening or have started implementing the prescriptive measures and, and we'll have those done by the deadline. I don't think we can expect any extensions at this point based upon the way the city's been discussing this. And, you know, part of the message you wanted to get out there is that, and I think you've talked about at length today, is putting implementing the prescriptive measures are going to be light years cheaper than having to go through traditional th Article 320 compliance in, um, you know, going through actually lowering the, the admissions and, and uh, against your benchmarking. We are working with Rosenberg and Estes and um, other attorneys in this space for lease riders and lease updates to protect owners because ultimately we are responsible for that aggregate data. And if you have a restaurant or commercial space that is reflecting a huge volume of your usage, that's gonna cost you fines, then you need your attorney. So um, make sure you guys give Michael a call. In connection with commercial tenants, Local on 97, even though it's been implemented since 2019, uh, a lot of leases, if not every lease that we've seen up until probably 2022, 2023, do not contemplate the being able to charge for the fines and penalties that owners will be responsible for if you have a commercial tenant that is using a lot more energy than um, the rest of the building. 
And without engaging the commercial tenants now and renegotiating that portion of the uh, the lease or trying to leverage the tenant into into agreeing to a different method of uh, additional rent and, and calculations, it's it's going to be difficult, right, for for some owners, especially owners that, which I'm sure you have these in your portfolio. You have you have a commercial space in the bottom and you have six units on on the top, and if they don't you know, comply for Article 321 because it's free market, um, that's going to be costly, right? Because you may have a restaurant or electronics store or someone that's really using a ton of electricity and they're paying you additional rent for their electric usage, but not the fines and penalties. They're just not contemplated. So how are you handling now that we now? we are working in the legal space with on riders for Local 97 and sustainability um, compliance and fines, as well as cannabis. And every other week, there's another law where ownership of the entire property is somehow responsible for the business practices of a, of a commercial space. And whether it's right or not, it shows up on our title reports, our um, emergency repairs, our, you know, we're being fined, the Department of Buildings and other city agencies um, or we're subject to fines. So we're working to work with all of our commercial tenants in the, the local law 97 fine um, arena, as well as other laws that New York City's rolled out, holding property owners accountable. Yeah, it's, it's a challenge. A lot of our owners, every day they have a new issue that they have to deal with as far as compliance goes. It's probably the most, you know, one of the most over-regulated spaces, uh, business spaces in, in, in New York. Mackenzie and Jack, thank you again for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Uh, we will add your contact information to the show notes and be circulated to anyone listening to the podcast that would like to get in touch with you. And as always, if anyone has any questions about Local 97 or anything real estate related, they can reach out to me, Michael Carr at Rosenberg and Estes. Again, thank, thank you, you for, having for being us. on the show. Thank you.